this, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hey everyone, welcome into a brand new episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. I am your host, Tyler Kern, alongside Greg Crumpton, as always. Greg, great to talk to you today, man. Good morning. I hope you are uh, doing well and having a great morning so far. I am. I am having a great morning so far. And it's always fun to get to hop on the the show and, and hop on the podcast and get to talk a little bit more about relationships and how it relates to business and how it um, you know, furthers our lives and, and that sort of thing. And so this is, uh, this is always an exciting time getting to record these podcasts with you, Greg. And today we have another uh, phenomenal guest. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited by this lady. Th- this is probably one of the most unique relationships that I think I've ever ventured into. Uh, and how uh, how all that came about, as well as how her business is impacted by her relationship. So it's going to be a blast. Yeah, it's absolutely going to be a blast. Today, our guest is Emily King. She's the CEO and founder of Global Venture Consulting, as well as the founder of Prospector Portal. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Emily is a geologist specializing in building and leading multiple multidisciplinary teams to achieve clients' high priority objectives in extractives industries of emerging and frontier markets with experience in Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Afghanistan, Mexico, and Iraq. That's quite a that's quite a list of uh, of countries. Emily, can you kind of dumb it down for for guys like me and Greg who Hey, easy, easy, easy. <laughs> okay, dumb it, down, dumb it down for me anyways <laughs> and, and, and put it in, in terms that maybe I can understand. What exactly do you do? So we help companies enter emerging and frontier markets and even post-conflict, like some of the countries that you listed. And the, co- the companies that we help specifically are focused in the natural resource industries, which we also call the extractive. So mining, oil and gas but also water and energy. And a lot of the the teams we work with are also focused on the infrastructure and the science that that is behind those industries. So it's a pretty wide, wide gathering of different kinds of unique companies that we work with, but we're always focused on helping them get into unique opportunities in unique markets. So we're, we've got a pretty niche, niche focus. Tyler, it's funny that that you said, so what is it exactly you do? Because <laughs> I've asked her that same question years ago, uh, like when we first started talking about business and relationships and like, okay, you do that and that and you do it there and there is like looking, if you looked at a piece of cheese and trying to figure out the pattern of the Swiss holes, <laughs> like what what algorithm did this evolve from it, it's so fun to hear about uh the the company global ventures it's so compelling the prospector portal is, is just revolutionary and and what she is doing for the mining industry so emily why don't you kind of kick us off of I I love this story too of how you got involved in geology and why and why the hell over there. So I I came out of college with a geology background. I was a double major in geology and government and through a bunch of different steps I was working at IBM uh, after graduation and ended up working with a client in the US Pentagon that was looking at projects in Iraq. And I was supporting them actually on a banking infrastructure project. And the lead for that client organization remembered I had a geology degree. And he basically asked me to take a look at what we could do in Iraq to focus on on mining. 
And when that client then moved into Afghanistan and the Pentagon started to focus on economic development in Afghanistan, I went with the client and became a government employee and ran a mining exploration program in Afghanistan for three years for the Pentagon. And through that, really got involved with the mining sector and trying to attract foreign direct mining investment into Afghanistan. It's also where I met my husband, Greg's cousin. So we are family. Uh, Mark and I ran that program together, him on the operational and logistics side. I really saw the impact that running a strong, smart program can have on these economies. A lot of these countries, the biggest thing that can lift them out of poverty, create infrastructure and create jobs are the extractives, mining, oil and gas, infrastructure. Um, and if it's done in the right way, it can have a huge impact. And a lot of why I enjoy that kind of work in those markets is because it's so relationship-based. You know, that's why we end up doing so many different things is once you build trust in these countries, people bring opportunities to you. They know you, they trust you, they know you can go find really good quality partners and companies to bring in to solve any problem. So you end up getting a really wide range of stuff to work on. And that's really what's built out our profile in the region, our partner network, and why we get to do so many things that maybe through that Swiss cheese look random, but they're all connected through relationships that we have in the region. Uh, and Prospector Portal is another project that came out of that. We were starting to focus more on deals. And um, in that region specifically, people are always asking us to help put investment money together with good projects. And Prospector Portal is a, is a mechanism to do that and give good projects visibility. Having learned about Prospector Portal, you know, they, they say that necessity is, is usually one of the driving motivators of, of uh, creation. I, I guess the big question I, I had originally was what problem does building the Prospector Portal solve? And, and why would anyone care that you have this awesome tool? And Prospector Portal... And many of the other things that the Good Idea Ferry uh, projects that I come up with are based on problems that I'm having in my business because I, I assume that I am not that creative and not that special. And so if I'm having a certain problem, other folks in my industry are probably having the same problem. And what I found was mining is an incredibly data-focused and, and data-wealthy industry. And yet, when you look at how the industry attracts investment, the industry doesn't leverage all of that digital data. It's still done in a very old school way. A few friends and I were talking about starting a private equity fund to focus on mining. And the only way we could compare and contrast potential assets that would fit all of our criteria was to physically walk the floor of one of our big shows called the Prospector Developer Association of Canada, PDAC. And like fill up brochures and look at posters. And if I were an, someone outside of the mining industry interested in getting into that market, I would have no idea where to start. Right. So look, look at it this way, too. I, I'll, I thought it was really interesting. The first trip to PDAC. Here you are, a person looking. At, let, let's say that you were that investor looking for an opportunity to get into mining. You, you go to this Toronto convention center that takes up two square blocks how do you get lucky enough to hit the right booth you know that okay yeah. th that asset is going to be exactly what we're looking for it, it's not likely you know it's just not 
the numbers don't add up. So that's what was cool to me about it. Yeah, and Prospector allows you through a very simple, like Google-ish platform to put in your key investment criteria, uh, the commodity, the geography, the level of development that you're interested in for a project, you know, how certain is the is the asset, and get a list of all the publicly traded projects that meet that criteria. So it's it's to give an investor a starting point, much like what I needed, you know, here are our different criteria, what would fit all of our check off all the boxes that we're looking for. And nobody had that, right? I mean, I asked around, everyone's like, no, you know, it's still, I have to make Excel spreadsheets and I have to go, you know, download all these documents. Unless you wanted to buy a house, there was a platform that operated in a similar fashion. Absolutely. You know, we took a lot of inspiration from Zillow and Expedia and the way that it allows users to compare and contrast um, hotels, uh, you know, houses, why can't you do the same thing with a potential investment? That's a, that's a really, really great point. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I was looking earlier at that list of, of countries uh, that you have experience in. Uh, were you always interested in traveling and seeing different places and, and, and going to places like this? Because, you know, when you say Iraq and when you say Afghanistan, you're talking about uh, places that are, aren't necessarily the safest places to go. So what, what was that like for you? And, and was that something that it always kind of piqued your curiosity? Tyler, are you planning on a little vacation I'm unaware of? Or what? <laughs> I might, you know, as soon as I can get out of my house, man. Right, yeah, same here. No, you know, I did my study abroad in Cape Town, South Africa, mm. and having grown up in a very, very small town in Maine, going from that to Cape Town, a completely different you know, environment really opened my eyes that I enjoyed seeing different parts of the world. And most places in the world are very, very different than we assume they will be from sitting here in the U.S. So, yeah, I think from that point, I was open to it. It, uh, I don't know that I would have sought it out from a, as a vacation, <laughs> but being able to go and do these kinds of projects for clients that are in, the, in that neighborhood and understand how to operate there, I got really comfortable and I, I really developed really close friends and essentially family in these countries. So now I love it. And I, I think that, you know, when we were talking several years ago, understanding how those relationships are, are to this day still really instrumental in, in growing global venture. I mean, that those relationships you made, what, 10 years ago now? Mm -hmm. This is 20. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you develop it and, and you said in your opening, really key word that we talk about here a lot is a trust factor. And nothing really gets done until two people or two bodies or two entities exchange trust on a limited degree, a little bit of a degree, whatever. But nothing happens until you feel compelled enough to say, OK, I'm going to go into the foxhole with this person. It, but you have to have trust in order to do that. And you have to have a relationship in order to build that trust. So it's, I just love the fact that you, you mentioned names to me. I'm like, how do you know that person? Well, you know, I yeah. was riding a camel. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I just I yeah. think it's just really cool how you have taken, you know, your early career relations and, and turned them into a, a, a career long uh, endeavor of, of bringing those folks in and through your work and helping them as well grow their work. Yeah, I think when you find people who are genuine and who do good work and who you enjoy working with, you know, that that's what I want to wake up and do every day. 
I think life's too short to work with people who are not fun, right? And uh, one of our partners and from the region gave me really good advice very early on. And he said, if I stop smiling and laughing when I'm working with somebody, I stop working with them because life is too short, right? Wow, that's cool. And I think that that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? That's kind of the nice part is you do get to shape who you work with, who you work for around how that work-life balance and integrating that into your into your professional life. You know, I want everyone I work with to be my friend and uh, that's kind of always my goal. Well, I've heard a couple of phone calls you've been on where I, I would challenge that, but uh, we won't go there. <laughs> we do have disagreements with our friends, right? Uh, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's always my intention when I go into it. <laughs> no, I, I just reflect back on one conversation. So it was a, a one of those moments where you're like, okay, this is the... I felt like it was one of those show me the money and Jerry Maguire moments. And uh, it worked out really oh, well. Yeah. So. And hey, you got to have boundaries, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. I just, I love it. I just think it's a good story. That's all. Tyler, what, what are you, what are you feeling like, uh, you know, you and I, we always have this little banner back and forth, you yeah. being the young guy and getting your career kind of kicked off <laughs> and then, you know, with with my rather unique and boring lifestyle, or, or not unique uh, and boring, of you know being an air conditioning guy, quote unquote. And then we got Emily riding camels and four wheelers in the desert. So, how do you uh, when, when you're sitting there putting a web uh, podcast together and and you know obviously doing tons of editing on my part? <laughs> How does that hit you? Like, wow, this is weird or, uh, you know, I just love to get your reaction because you always have a unique perspective. Yeah. So I, I think what's what's most fascinating to me and what, you know, one of the things I want to ask Emily about is just that, you know, with with every podcast that I do with everybody that I talk to, I try to find, you know, common ground and try to find, you know, ways that we can relate to one another. And I know that that when it comes to building trust, especially in a foreign country, sometimes that can look different. Sometimes that can take on different forms when it comes to building friendships and building relationships and things along those lines, people that you're going to work with. So I think I'm most curious about maybe how relationship building and building trust looks different, maybe in different cultures than it does here in the United States or, you know, how does it differ from my experience? Because, you know, anytime I've gone overseas, you just realize there are, you know, there are quirks, there are idiosyncrasies about every culture that just differs from your ex your experience. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. And so, you know, Emily, from your perspective, how has that worked as far as just building relationships, you know, across different cultures and across, you know, uh, country lines and that sort of thing? I think one of the parts of the cultures I work in that I really appreciate and have learned from is the amount of value they put on family. And in a lot of these markets, you, you deal more with family run businesses, right? You'll have multi generations, multiple generations involved. You'll have husband and wife teams, which I'm part of, but is not the norm in the United States, right? You really don't see that often outside of maybe you know, some, some small businesses. So I really appreciate that. And I think in order to build relationships, we've had to open up our family in order to, to kind of create that personal bond. And I think another component is, you know, the longevity, you have to be in it for the long haul in these communities and in these cultures, you know, they don't want someone who's just going to show up, expect a deal, send a few emails and then be gone. 
they very much want partners. They want partners that are going to be coming back to them with new ideas, new concepts, new opportunities. So it's really about showing up and staying there and, and showing that you're committed. I think that's the biggest thing that, that builds trust is when you do what you say you're going to do and you do it consistently and you value their opinion and you're not condescending, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... Sure. Yeah, people have preconceived notions about what these places are like and sometimes they go in with an attitude that we do know better or know more and that's not always the case. I, I think it's really important, you know, we, you and I were talking earlier this morning about another topic and I, I love the way that you understand your your customer and this morning you're on a phone call with a, with some people across the water and they're going through a religious celebration right now mm-hmm. and you know you said you you couldn't have your iced coffee because <laughs> it wouldn't be appropriate because right. everybody else on the call is fasting until sundown right yeah or ramadan i think you having the awareness and the uh respect i mean i think it's the right word for their normal day to day knowing that mm-hmm. you're coming into their world not vice versa Right. And I I think that's really instrumental. You and I have traveled across the pond together before, and I've seen how you've acted in those roles, and, and you get it. And that's so cool that you're able to blend your business world into their culture rather than trying to bolt you on, you know, the side as, as okay, I'm, I'm a Caucasian lady here over doing business, and, and you got to take me for what I am. Yeah. You always blend it into their culture, which I, I just really think is is, uh, is very respectful and very, very cool. Yeah, I think it's really important to keep in mind that when you go to a different country, you are a guest and you should use all of the manners that you learned growing up about when you go to a guest's home. You need to be conscious of being polite and what is considered respectful in that home and in that country and things that may not be normal for us that are expected are not, you don't do them because what you do in your home is wrong, right? You're doing it because you're a guest in someone else's home and you're being respectful to them. I think if you approach people in general with that attitude internationally, they appreciate it. And even if you fumble and you you do the customs wrong or you say something wrong in their language, they at least appreciate that you're making an effort uh, to be respectful. And I think going in with that, as well as the assumption that all people in the world the vast majority, all they want is a better future for their children, right? If they have children or the next generation. And I think we sometimes forget that, that we all share that in common. And if we can start from that as kind of ground zero, and then we can figure out everything from there. But we have to assume that everybody has good intentions and wants to make the world a better place, as corny as that sounds. But it's proven to be successful for me that if you assume that about people, it's amazing how often they'll show up and, and demonstrate that. Hmm. So what you're trying to say is to be open minded and non-judgmental. How dare you? <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's where some some might call me an optimist. But yeah, I think if you go in with any other kind of attitude you're kind of setting yourself up for failure, right? I think you could carry that same mission forward here as well in the States. You know, if you are in a, in a work relationship and there's a, a certain amount of assumption on your part, either about 
the company that you're dealing with or what you think you know about the company or what you think you know about that person. You know, it's always weird because I always remember the saying that I saw is like everybody you meet is going through something that you have no idea about. Mm -hmm. You know, when we get all cocky and headstrong in our day and we're feeling like we're on top of the world, sometimes it takes a moment to step back and, and realize why that person said, did, or just flipped you off in traffic. Who knows? You know, maybe they're on the way to the hospital to see their mother. I, I don't, I'm just saying that I'll work hard to do a better job at realizing that everybody's not living the same life I am or thinking the same thing I am that moment. So it kind of, it, damn it, it's humiliating and humbling all at the same time. So that's good stuff. Yeah. And I think also, especially overseas, people are much more conversational. And we in America are very transactional when it comes to yeah. business, right? It's like you meet someone for the first time, you give them a proposal, you sign a deal the next day because the numbers work, right? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. just kind of in our DNA as Americans, I think, in the business space. And internationally, that's just not how people do business. They want to know who you are and if they can trust you before they're going to make a commitment. And I always, you've heard this before, Greg, use the analogy of dating. Right. I mean, it's like you're not going to you're not going to marry somebody within an hour and uh, you got to kind of date them and get to know them and ask a lot of questions and approach the relationship with a certain level of curiosity. Right. You really want to ask curious questions and get to know what's going on and what is their motivation. And that comes across, I think, here as well. Sometimes it takes people aback if you approach things from the relationship perspective here in the States because companies and people aren't used to that. But I find that it opens up much different opportunities and tends to build longer term business relationships than just going in for the contract on day two. Well, you said it earlier about, you know, being there for the long haul. I I was thinking about a vacation my wife and I took. It seemed like four years ago, but it was October. (laughs) It it really does. It seems so weird. We we were went to to Paris because. She liked it and I'd never been. And I remember just sitting in the coffee shop, you know, watching the local transactions and the local business lunches and what have you. Totally, totally different pace than, you know, what we have here. I mean, we have mm-hmm. signs in our restaurants that says in, in Charlotte, where I live, that I've seen that said, please, no business lunches here. Because really? they can't flip the table fast enough. Uh, yeah. And I think it's so... Our, our our brains, and you said it so well, that we are, we are so transactional. And I think that stems from our financial background of, you know, we've got to do a deal to make the numbers work because we got to have a, a deal to make the numbers work so that we can make the numbers work at home. You know, it's all mm-hmm. financial, like that dollar tracks all the way through our life. And, you know, that's carried over in, into just our day-to-day expectation of uh, you said it, you, you know, good to meet you. Uh, you look better now than you did on LinkedIn picture 10 years ago. <laughs> and here's my proposal. Here's an eight, eight slide PowerPoint deck. Get back to me if I can help. And bam, yeah. you're off and running to the next one. And I, I talk about Gittimer on here because Jeffrey Gittimer has been a longtime friend and Somebody who is going to be on this podcast, I need to call him. I said that last time, but he always says people uh, that one of his sayings, people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. Hmm. You know, when I think about that, it's so true. 
you know, you need something done at your house. And I know that you have had a lot of stuff done at your house lately, Emily. Due to <laughs> we bought a fixer-upper. Your uh, fixer-upper. You've even done some of the stuff at my house. <laughs> well, uh, I got to pay my rent. Got to pay my rent. <laughs> but if you think about that, you know, like pretty well what you want or you wouldn't be at the point of calling a contractor in because with today's modern technology, I mean, we, we understand so much more now than relying on this salesperson to educate us. Most people have done, you know, some amount of homework or a tremendous amount of homework. And when you're at the point of like having somebody over, you're ready to kind of consummate the deal. Like, just tell me what I need to know. I don't need to know that there's 44 mm-hmm. colors. I like these two. Which one's in right. stock? But that goes against the grain of building that relationship. But we do it because you 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 were talking a while ago about balancing family. And you, you have a, a, a young, smart kid that you interact with often, and, sh- and she's very active in your life and in Mark's life, and y'all blend that so well. But, you know, you got to get the tile redone on this wall uh, because it's falling off and you don't have the 30 minutes. You just have the 15, you know, and Mm -hmm. all that just makes the 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 tension, as my friend Sam Froline uses that word a lot of the, the tension of the moment in a good way or a negative way that makes you act or react a certain way. So I don't think we'll ever figure it out. But I think it's just important to be cognizant of it. Like, all right, am I taking the right amount of time or the the proper amount of time based on the situation? You know, if I know I need a Samsung blankety blank model monitor because I've either had one, I like it, I've researched it. I just need a transaction. But if I need somebody to explain LCD technology to me, then that's a whole different kind of relationship. That's an educational-based sales role, which is, I, I love that particular role because I like to teach the items that I know about. So just observations from an old dude. That's what that is. <laughs> but I think that's also one of my big lessons working in the Middle East and North Africa is that Americans have a tremendous reputation for being good trainers mm. and much more so compared to perhaps uh, some some European countries. Right. They they want American partners to come in, not just because America has good technology and and, you know, rah, rah made in America, our ability to train people in a way that brings them along, whether that's educating someone in a way to sell a new technology or the way that we partner locally and, and bring local employees up into senior level management is very, very different than our competitors from Europe and other other regions. And I think it's a wonderful thing that American companies can build on is that ability and willingness to train and include locals from different communities in what we're doing. Well, that I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of myself. So I think we could go all day because I, I like hearing how your, your worldwide maneuvering mm-hmm. has, has helped your business become what it is. And it's, it's a super cool business. So congrats on that. Thank you for taking time with us this morning and, and talking. I hope your weather's better than mine. It's raining and 57 <laughs> degrees. It's always better in Florida. She happens to live at Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, so. rough. So, Tyler, given that our 
Nickel is just about done in the slot machine. Why don't you <laughs> bring us around third base and uh, bring us home? Absolutely. Well, Emily, thank you so much for, for joining us today on Straight Outta Crumpton. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. We've loved uh, having the opportunity to bring it to you today. And so we'll be back soon with more episodes. But until then, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and bookmark Greg's uh, Greg's blog. And we'll be back soon. <laughs>